Hi, this is Rafael Popesussman of the Center for Court Innovation. In today's podcast, we're joined by New York Judge John Leventhal of the Second Judicial Department Appellate Division in Brooklyn. From 1996 to 2008, Judge Leventhal presided over the nation's first felony domestic violence court based in Brooklyn Supreme Court. He has chronicled this experience in a new book, My Partner, My Enemy, from Roman and Littlefield. My Partner, My Enemy presents vignettes of some memorable cases Leventhal heard in domestic violence court, as well as Leventhal's reflections on how the justice system can best serve victims of domestic violence. Judge Leventhal, thank you for speaking with me today, and welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure to participate in this uh, podcast on a very important subject. Why did you write this book? Well, you know, I was taken by all of the cases that I had, and there were some that stuck out to me as very, very unusual, which was emblematic of, you know, the types of cases that judges and and people uh, experience in their lives. And I thought that it would be helpful not only to talk about the cases, to bring it to a dramatic attention, but also to make suggestions uh, as to how to better protect the victims, the scope of the problem, how the, how the problem has somewhat abated since the court was established in 1995, and also why we should have specialized courts to deal with domestic violence issues. So can you describe to our audience some of whom may not be familiar with the concept of a domestic violence court, how that court operates? We started out as a pilot project in the aftermath of a very celebrated domestic violence case, the Galena Comar case. And after that, this was the really the project of former Chief Judge Judith S. K., who was really the innovator and mother of all problem-solving courts in New York, and the Center for Court Innovation, who came up with all these good ideas and protocols for problem-solving courts. And what we learned at the very beginning is that people continually come back in domestic violence situations, and we were trying to pretty much break the mold, and we started the domestic violence court as a pilot project. It eventually became a model court where the uh, Justice Department was sending judges and administrators from all over the country to come watch our court, and eventually the State Department was sending uh, judges, administrators, and lawyers from all over the world to watch the court. And what happens in domestic violence court? Well, one judge handles the case from the arraignment on the indictment to motions, to pleas, to either trial and sentencing. And what happened was that one of the things that that I learned when I visited Quincy, Massachusetts, when I first started. In Quincy, misdemeanors are punishable up to two and a half years for misdemeanor, and the judge had great power over them. But what I was struck by, that there was a great violation of probation calendar. So what I sought to do was to reduce the violation of probation calendar. So I would bring my probationers back. Those who were lucky to get six months in jail plus five years probation, and they didn't get state prison time, I would bring them back every two or three months for a year, year and a half. And what we discovered is that the violation rate was less than half of the general probation population, which is remarkable when these people were so intimately involved and knew one another. And what had happened was that even those who I sentenced to state jail time, when they came out of jail, parole saw the success that we were 
accomplishing with probation, and they asked me to bring the parolees back when they were released from jail within one month so that I would read them the order of protection, the conditions of parole, and reinforce that the judge is still watching them. And that's why this was such a successful court, because the judge was involved, the, there was intensive judicial monitoring, and the defendants were always reminded that the judge is watching them. You've taken a very unique approach in this book. With each chapter, a vignette based around a character or two characters. How did you select these stories out of all the cases that came before you? Well, when I decided to write the book, I went back to my, um, my notes. I didn't actually ask for the transcripts of the pleas or, or the trials or the hearings, but I went back to my notes on, on a number of cases, and I picked the, the cases that were emblematic of, of the types of situations attorneys, prosecutors, and judges would see. I picked two cases on same-sex violence, and, and each case had another aspect of, of domestic violence in it. And, and of course, there was heterosexual violence uh, as well, you know, the, the prototypical domestic violence situation. But I try to pick out cases which would, would add to the dialogue, would, which would um, add to the discussion and to bring more awareness to the problem. And why did you select this this approach? Because I thought that after O.J. Simpson, after Galena Komar, and, and even after Ray Rice and, and these celebrated cases, they go back into the background. And I didn't want domestic violence to be the flavor of the month, the fad of the day, and I didn't want it to disappear. So I figured if I wrote this book, that it would be out there, people would read it, and realize that, number one, this problem existed before O.J. Simpson. This problem continues to exist, and this is a problem that started out and was only brought to the attention by the, first by the women's movement, and then it, be, it went from a private matter to a women's issue to a societal issue, and that we should keep it in the forefront and remember it. And it shouldn't be you know, forgotten just because it's not a celebrated or a case that gathers the public attention. I think there's so many heart-wrenching stories in the book. I was particularly affected by the story of someone you, you called Deadly Dave. And I know these are pseudonyms, but who was Deadly Dave? Well, he, he was a fellow who was a, actually the head of a uh, domestic violence accountability uh, group or batteries intervention program who would actually be in charge of the men. And he would come in uh, every week and report to the court but the, the thing which was so interesting about Dave is that he would tell me that, oh, these knuckleheads don't get it. And if anyone could, could talk the talk, it was Dave. And I thought if anyone could walk the walk, it was Dave. And then, you know, the, the program really wasn't doing well. So I stopped dealing with that program about a year or two before. But then when I read on Christmas time uh, of, of the two years following, that he had killed his girlfriend and her boyfriend, I was shocked that it was him. And what made this more outrageous, they were looking for him, and then he went to a precinct and told the police, I'm the one you're looking for, and right in front of the police, he shot himself in the head. It was a really eye-opener for me. It really reinforced that domestic violence cuts across all strata of society. You can't have any true assumption that someone is not going to be a batterer, no matter who they are.
domestic violence cases are so complicated, and I think the title of your book sort of alludes to that. The perpetrator is also the partner of the victim. How can the justice system protect victims of domestic violence? Well, the police are never in the home, but there are certain aspects uh, where we can do. For example, in, in England and in uh, New Zealand, they have a procedure where you can call the police and find out if your boyfriend you know, has been convicted of a domestic violence crime. I think that would really be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, a suggestion that I made years ago, more, you know, when I was starting out with this to the police department has been effectuated, where they have digital cameras in the uh, police cars where they can take pictures of the uh, victim immediately. So when the woman says, I wasn't hit, or, or, you know, wasn't that bad, and, and then he showed the pictures at the arraignment, it would be a big deal. I envision also improvements where, where the judge can have access to the emergency room records at the arraignment, whereby uh, we would know, you know, number one, it would result in more pleas. And, and judges aren't in the position of convicting people, but if you have, if, if you eliminate the cases that shouldn't be dismissed, which are dismissed in domestic violence cases, then you can concentrate and have trials on the cases that should be trialed. So, and also you would have more discovery for both for the prosecution and for the defense at an earlier stage in the proceeding. Other things that we can do, we can have every college campus should have an orientation about sexual uh, violence and harassment. Um, we should have programs on teen dating violence in high schools. There are many things that we, that we can do, but another thing that we can do, we can make sure that shelters, are, which are needed, if a woman is to leave her, her abusive boyfriend or, or spouse, we should make shelters more available to the women and not preclude women who have adolescent, teenage, male children. A lot of the shelters do not allow them into those shelters. So the woman is then faced with the choice of either staying with her abusive husband or giving up her, her teenage child, which she shouldn't have to do. Any final thoughts? My final thought is that anyone who thinks they know everything about this problem is clearly mistaken. We're not interested in just processing uh, the cases. We're interested in protecting the complainant while the case is pending and even after it is over, and we're interested in forming a partnership by all of the agencies, including the Defense Bar. We are interested in having a coordinated community response so that everyone's on board. And the only way a judge can participate in this is if they get the Defense Bar on board. And, and a success for this court should be measured that any of the defendants who appear before a judge in the domestic violence court should never commit another violent crime in the future. And that's how I judge the success, which is pretty much unattainable, but that's the only way I can judge success. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It was, you know, I, I always think that dealing and, and speaking on domestic violence issues is, is really a duty, but you're very welcome. This is Raphael Pope Sussman of the Center for Court Innovation. And I've been speaking with Judge John Leventhal about his new book, My Partner, My Enemy, now available on Amazon. For more information about the Center for Court Innovation, visit www.courtinnovation.org.